0: Okay. Deep pattern downfield, touchdown, Miami! What a throw, Devonte Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! Fine. What is up, Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Drive Time podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going everybody? It is Wednesday. I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show it's Wednesday which usually is reserved for a deep dive pod but on a short week it's going to be preview day. We'll go position by position and break down the key matchups for Dolphins and Ravens. Tell you how Miami can win this game We'll give you the three keys, and since it is a short week, we'll move up the picks, the week 10 picks, to this podcast. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. It's Ravens week, and I don't know about you guys, but the rivalries within the division still reign supreme to me. But for me, there are still two more rivals out there that we play in different divisions that I look forward to when we play them every year, every other year or so. And it's former AFC East resident, the Indianapolis Colts and the Baltimore Ravens. And ironically, one used to be the other. And it began for me back in 2001 after the wildcard round defeat here at Hard Rock Stadium, formerly Pro Player Stadium. I had always heard this story about what the Ravens players did on the field, and it was one of those things where you start to believe that as it gets more and more in the past, maybe that was one of those myths that you just never quite knew was a myth until you became old enough to realize it was, and it kind of was. And I googled this, and there's a story from the Baltimore Sun from January 18, 2002, and then head coach Brian Billick told the players during their Saturday walkthrough They needed to mark their territory at Pro Player Stadium. So far different from the legend of the story of actually marking your territory on the field itself. But it gives you a sense of how those games kind of went back in those days. Because you might remember the Dolphins beat down that 2000 Ravens team that would go on to the Super Bowl with a 19-6 to win, I think it was. And that was two of the best defenses in the National Football League in those years. And Miami's defense held that Baltimore offense to just six points in that game with the two corners. Pass rush from Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas. You guys know the suspects from those teams. And that was the second to last, so I guess penultimate, home playoff game for us, and the next one, guess who, Baltimore once again, the Wildcat season division champions, 11-5, and five. they fumble the ball in the opening kickoff, and I'm out here thinking, here we go again, baby, this miracle run continues for Chad Pennington, Ronnie Brown, Tony Sperano, and these Wildcat Dolphins. It results in a field goal, and that was the last real fun moment from that game. Except, though, I still contend if Ted Ginn doesn't bobble that end-around snap when the game is to 9 it might have become a game at that point. But I digress, because four INTs, two Ed Reed picks in that game, one for a touchdown. And again, this just felt like payback from Baltimore after we got them in that thrilling 2007 thriller, the one game, the one win season, I should say. Camarillo over the middle, got it! Touchdown, Dolphins! They're going to win this football game! Since then, Miami has won just one game in this matchup, and that was a late-season snoozer, a 15-13 final between Matt Schaub and a Dolphins team led by Dan Campbell, the fighting Dan Campbells back then, as the novelty kind of wore off late in that year after uh, just a tumultuous season. 2015 was one of my least favorite years as a Dolphins fan. Since that victory, though, Baltimore has won three straight by a combined score, 137-16, to including a middle match on a Thursday night up in Baltimore back in 2017. That game, a 40-zip to result. And Miami came into that. I remember flying high because Matt Moore was starting. A lot of us were not very thrilled with Jay Cutler's production so far at that point. Four and two off of a big win in overtime or a comeback win against the Jets in the previous game. Fun times until that game began. So plenty of symmetry here in the rivalry, and in fact, that 2008 playoff loss was the first year of current head coach John Harbaugh, who is one of the most accomplished coaches and best current coaches in the National Football League. And several things have helped the Ravens into the blue blood status since Harbaugh's 2008 arrival. I put them up there with the Steelers, the Seahawks, the Patriots. Who else goes into that mix? The Packers, these teams that are Regularly atop the NFL standings and in the content in contention every single year, the Chiefs are in that mix as well. Uh, there's a couple teams in that mix I missed, but anyway, that started in earnest in 2008 with Joe Flacco and John Harbaugh's rookie season that brought them all the way to the AFC title game that season. And that was the first of five straight playoff appearances for that Ravens club. And they would then win at least one playoff game every year. That sounds fantastic. And that culminated in a Super Bowl championship in that 2012 season against his brother, Jim Harbaugh. But after that, a bit of a dip for this Ravens team, one playoff appearance in the next five seasons and then something else happened to join with what the Ravens already did well in playing lights-out defense and Sterling special teams, Lamar Jackson. Since Lamar's arrival, or rather when he took over the starting role in mid-2018, the Ravens are 38-10. Nobody has a better record since that time, and at first, after that first-round playoff exit in which the Chargers found a way to stifle the rushing version of Lamar Jackson and force him to beat you from the pocket— That dynamic dime package defense that was spearheaded by Derwin James helped them get into a position to really make folks think, well, maybe Derwin, or maybe rather Lamar can't do this. All Lamar did was come back with a 14-2 season and an MVP award and a first or second round exit after a first round bye to the Ryan Tannehill-led Titans, but I digress. Now this season, despite a league-high 21 players on IR, Baltimore six and two, right back in that same position. They're aggressive. They trust in analytics as much as anybody else. They go for it on fourth down as much as anybody else. And they, you know, they even though they have Justin Tucker, they still know that the best way to win games is scoring seven points over three, and they go aggressively in that regard. And they're a threat to make a run to the Super Bowl every year because Well, they usually play terrific defense, not as much this year, but again, injuries have depleted this team in so many areas. They're normally balanced on offense, and again, (laughs) the running game is also depleted with just about every running back they had back in camp on IR. And everybody who had the opinion that the Ravens can't win games coming from behind, which in some ways is legitimate but all it was was a commentary on Lamar Jackson and if you do that you're telling on yourself because this kid's one of the most electrifying best players in the National Football League that's all they've done all year long come back from deficits and they they do it because Lamar can basically do whatever the hell he wants with the football in fact last week he became the first quarterback to throw for 3 touchdowns and rush for 120 yards in multiple games in the same season ever not Kyler Murray not Michael Vick Lamar Jackson did that not Randall Cunningham not Fran Tarkenton He's a monster. He's brought this team back from double-digit deficits three times this season. So the Ravens are 6-2. They're as dangerous as anybody. But if there's one thing that has sort of plagued them this year, it's the way they've started some of these games. And it's playing some games maybe a little bit closer than they should have been. Like, they were a bad penalty away from losing in Detroit, which never should have happened for this talented Ravens team. And to top it all off, before we get into positional previews, it's a tough, tough ask for the Ravens to travel on a short week after playing a full fifth quarter on Sunday against the Vikings, going to the buzzer in overtime in that win over Minnesota, but their offense was on the field for 98 plays, the defense just for 52 as they dominated time of possession, 46-24 to in that game. So that's your intro and the small footnote there. But as we do weekly, we start here with the Baltimore quarterback versus the Miami safeties in our week number 10 game preview over the halfway point over the hump and heading into the mid-November portion of the schedule. And I mean, I told you how it goes. Rushing, passing, play action game, zone read, RPO, on the move, from the pocket, QB draw, design runs and the red zone. He's an absolute problem. And I think that's one of the best players in the league regardless of position and I doubt I'm alone on that unless you haven't caught up yet but he creates so much conflict for everything you want to do play man coverage well that's tough because if you make if he makes you miss on the initial rush or even if the coverage is good and you just can't quite get home in the first 3 seconds of that rush he can break contain and get loose with his legs again 120 yards rushing on Sunday play zone he'll just hang out in the pocket and beat you that way too gotten Taken his game to another level in terms of the passing from the pocket in that sense. I never thought it was bad, but it's certainly gotten a lot better since that time. Byron Jones had it best. Like, if you thought that he was only a one dimensional player back then, you had it wrong then, too. I mentioned Derwin James earlier. And it's got me thinking about the Dolphins' recent surge and safeties coming on blitzes. This is a big test for these two young kids. Devon Holland, to me, has some of that Derwin DNA in terms of versatility, that dog to him, and the ability to impact the game from multiple positions. And this Dolphins defense is capable of getting deep into their sub-packages, really as well as anybody across the National Football League. We've seen a lot of it. Dime, quarter, half-dollar. They won't shy away from unloading six, seven, even eight defensive backs onto the field. And that can be kind of a key for defending this track star offense. And I think I mentioned this in the season preview back in September, August, whenever the hell that was. The loss of Dobbins was so big to me because for such a long time, the Ravens game ran as smoothly as it did because of Lamar Jackson. And this is not a slight against you know, Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards. But those are just kind of guys. Those are guys that are they're good players, but they're not game changers. And then getting Dobbins a true game changer at the position would make that defense make the posing defense to so the Ravens have to pay equal mind to both options. Because when you have to key on on Lamar, that's obviously going to open things up for running back X, whoever the case may be. But when you have a guy like Dobbins who can not only make tacklers miss, get skinny, have that wiggle in the hole, but hit the home runs and make guys miss in the second and third level, gosh, that would have been difficult to defend. I'm looking forward to seeing it as a NFL fan in general next year when Dobbins comes back. But having to pay equal mind to both options on all that zone read and ball faking that Lamar does, what a tall order that would be. And you can see that In their numbers right now, Lamar has 600 rushing yards. Second place on the club is Latavius Murray with 212. And that speaks to their injuries at the position. They got Le'Veon Bell a touchdown last week. Devontae Freeman also scored. Bell has just 82 rushing yards this season and Freeman has 188 where Tyson Williams was kind of the guy that was supposed to kind of seize that role but he's missed a few games including last week against the Vikings or at least he didn't play at all I didn't see the injury report but he had zero carries in that game and all this is to say that it starts with number eight so for Jones and Holland two of their best traits have been coming from depth the angles they take to the football and sound tackling that's the big test here maybe even the matchup of the game for me. Then there's the, also the whole idea of the passing game, like the biggest way to hurt someone's with the passing game, right? EPA always favors passing game. Like, for example, in, in Tennessee, as good as Derrick Henry is, they improve their odds of winning when they go to Tannehill more because passing is more efficient than running. That's how it works in football. And in the passing game, they will pump the football to their tight ends, which works so well to complement their running game because it helps keep them balanced. It keeps the defense guessing and it stresses that middle part of the field and when you also want to get your safeties involved in the running game, it creates conflict, not just for the linebackers, but for those guys. So there's so much conflict within this offense. And real quick, before we bleed that over into our next positional group preview here on the Wednesday special Drive Time edition of the Drive Time podcast presented by Auto Nation, this is one of the most unique personnel deployment offenses in the entire National Football League. Just 37% of their snaps come from 11 personnel. Most clubs run that anywhere from 65 all the way up to like 80% of the time. That's the second fewest to only us, the Miami Dolphins, at 36%. Or rather, reverse those two numbers. But Baltimore at 36%. And they also run by far the least amount of 12 personnel, just 4% of the time. Miami by comparison, which you take from that 11 personnel packaging most of the time, is at 55% 12 personnel. It's the two back sets they run. They lead the NFL in 21 personnel at 29%. That's two backs, one tight end. Patrick Ricard, their fullback, gets plenty of work. And they've also ran some two running back sets in there as well. The second most at that package is 19%. And almost everybody else is in single digits. So they run it way more than the average in the NFL. Then the 22 personnel package. What does that mean? Two tight ends, two backs, and that's 18%. The next closest is 8%. Most teams are anywhere from 0 to 3% in that Uh, in that arena. Again, we'll talk about Patrick Ricard, their fullback in a few segments, but back to the Baltimore receivers and tight ends versus Miami corners. The thing about this team is despite the varied personnel groupings, they can get to really any look from all of those packages. Like they can go tight and condense everything, or they can go empty. They run tons of empty, even from those two back or two tight end heavy type of sets. So they can not only line up they can yeah they can not only line up with their two back set go from the gun from the pistol under center jet sweep single wing double wing I'm not joking they can do everything and they will try everything to give them an advantage in the running game and then from that Lamar is able to play pass and attack the middle watching these guys on tape for me was stressful like i I I have to imagine coaches feel the same way across the NFL when they watch this team on tape. And that starts with that quarterback. And when he attacks the middle of the field, Mark Andrews is a pro bowl tight end. He had two 100-yard games this season, a bit of a dip in touchdown production compared to his usual stats, just three so far this year. But he's good for at least a handful of catches every single week. And when you look at his matchups and splits in the big 100-yard games he had, he got on top of... Bobby Okereke for five catches. That's a smaller, super fast, but smaller linebacker. He also had a 27-yard reception on safety Julian Blackman, who's one of the best young safeties in the National Football League, although he got hurt this year. Uh, Two for 36 on Darius Leonard in that game, and two for 33 on cornerback Isaiah Rogers. So what do all those guys kind of have in common? Not undersized, that's the wrong word, but lighter than the average typical matchup for your tight ends there. Then, in the Detroit game, he posted 41 yards on slot cornerback A.J. Parker, 37 on Mike backer Derek Barnes, and 24 more on their will backer Jalen reeves Mabin. Why am I telling you all this? Because if you want to commit to slowing Eric, uh, Mark Andrews, I almost said Aaron Andrews, it typically takes, takes a multifaceted player and that's what Miami has. A few of them, actually. Holland, Jones, Rowe, and Jerome Baker, I think is also up to the task because of his speed and physicality in coverage. Get the head around, though. So that is a key matchup I'm looking at because of all those players, I think there are options Maybe you want to assign someone that follows him down to the line who can also kind of keep their eyes in the backfield and contribute in the running game, and that would require that excellent eye discipline. So perhaps it's a veteran like Eric Rowe. I like the idea of Javon Holland, but with how much he does elsewhere, especially in that deep post, maybe that's not the best usage for his skill set. Maybe it is, but when a certain receiver is on the field, I think you need that post safety. And that certain receiver is none other than Hollywood, Florida, Brown, Marquise Brown himself, was such a great addition to help this offense stretch the field and make you defend more grass than you would otherwise. He changes the way defenses defend that team, and you better be damn good in man coverage if you do want to bring those safeties down, kind of like Miami did all game long against the Texans, because he's a big play machine. He's had a few drops this year, but he consistently gets on top of the defenses, and I thought... One of his best performances with that playoff game last year against the Buffalo Bills because he showed you that he can win underneath and create separation in short areas because of really refined route running. He's a great player. love watching him play. And that's kind of the structure of this entire offense. Like track speed all around their track star quarterback, lots of eye candy and misdirection, tons of conflict, and it makes them incredibly challenging to defend, especially on a short week. Their top snap takers last couple of weeks have been Marquise Brown, or on the season, I should say, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, uh, Devin Duvernay, and Eric Tomlinson, the tight end. I think for Marquise Brown, I I think you probably roll a safety a lot of the time there, but if you go in man coverage, I would probably go more towards the idea of Byron Jones, you recall last time we played this team, we didn't have Byron Jones and they went he went off in that game for two long touchdown passes. I think Jones's athletic ability matches up with Brown really well in terms of what the Dolphins have at that position. Mark Andrews, I think I might cap him. I might double on Mark Andrews. I don't know. That's that's a tough decision they're going to have to make, but trying to get Someone to reroute and then coverage over the top might be the best route on him. Rashad Bateman, to me, if he's out there down in and down out, that's an Xavier and Howard matchup for days and just kind of lock that guy out and take him out of the game the best you can. Devin Duvernay, one of these speed merchants. If he comes inside in the slot, I have to think about kind of changing things up there because he has a lot of speed from that position and I'm not sure how you would attack that. And then Eric Tomlinson, look, you can't let him beat you, but he will play a lot. But if Eric Tomlinson beats you, that's, that's bad news. So just finding a way... To neutralize his impact and really focus on the other guys that have gotten way more targets in the passing game, and of course, the first way to really disrupt a passing game and to control the the running game is up front in the chen- in the trenches, almost at chenches. Baltimore offensive line versus Dolphins defensive line, man, they're they're banged up here. No, Ronnie Stanley, a. All-pro level left tackle who got hurt again this season. I feel terribly for him. Two years in a row, he ends up on, on season-ending IR. No Ben Cleveland. And Patrick McCarry did not practice on Monday nor Tuesday, listed as a DNP in those practice reports. But as for the guys, they do have 343 pass-blocking snaps for the Ravens this year, so keep that number in mind with their overall snap counts. Only one guy has hit that mark. That's Kevin Zeitler, who also happens to be their best player on the offensive line right now. He's allowed nine pressures, no sacks or no hits on all 343 pass blocking snaps at left tackle is the massive alejandre villanueva 32 pressures on 336 snaps at six quarterback hits and five sacks so 11 times he's been responsible for a hit on lamar jackson bradley bozeman the center 12 pressures on 337 snaps two sacks and two hits ben powers 10 pressures on just 284 snaps two hits and three sacks. And then Tyree Phillips is a guard who's playing tackle because of lack of availability on that position for this team. He's allowed six pressures, one QB hit on 117 pass-blocking reps. I'm going to be curious to see how Miami wants to match up here. We talked about the length of Jalen Phillips and also condensing him inside but I think I like to see him back more at the traditional outside position here because of what he can match up with on Alejandro Villanueva and because of Phillips' lateral agility and kind of getting heavier hands as we go along here. At six foot nine, he's not bending real well, doesn't move real well. He's a huge, huge human being. But if you can kind of work him in the finesse part of the game and the speed part of the game, which we saw Phillips really excel in last week, I like that matchup there. His pressure numbers had been re- either really good or really bad this year for. For uh, for Villanueva against Vegas, ten pressures against Yannick Ngakwe and and Max Crosby, but primarily Gakway in that game against Detroit, Romeo Aquara and Charles Harris put eight pressures on him together. Those are kind of some speed guys. So is Ngakwe. Cincinnati, Trey Hendrickson does a little bit of everything, but he's really a technician. He got eight on him as well, or him he, him among other guys, but the Bengals got eight pressures in total, mostly from Hendrickson. Then three against the Colts, and then one or zero against everybody else. So Jalen Phillips, keep an eye on him this week. Also keep an eye on Emmanuel Ogba because Tyree Phillips is the greenest of the group, and he lines up at right tackle where Miami's most experienced slash accomplished Ed Rusher largely resides Emmanuel Ogba on Phillips big on big he's 6 foot 5 345 I think speed to power to test the feet to test the sand the pants but also the ability to kind of angle like he does and get that big long arm the cross chop I, I this is my favorite matchup I think of this game for Miami the two edge rushers against the two tackles of the Ravens but inside Kevin Zeitler has been so solid just three pressures the last two weeks against the Vikings and Bears combined he gets them aligned inside he communicates well Detroit gave him the most problems back in week three. And that came from a pair of defensive tackles of Michael Brockers and Nick Williams, who are right around 300 pounds. So he's done well against the bigger types, like a Raekwon Davis type. We'll see if that's a matchup the Dolphins can find a way to exploit. And then Ben Powers only allowed more than two pressures once. That was... Earlier in the season, he sat out a game last week. So that's tough matchup inside. I like the matchup on the outside. But, uh, Baltimore running backs and Dolphins linebackers. We talked at length about this already, so not much to cover here. But it, it's tough for them to find a rhythm with how they've had to rotate guys, but they still managed to get production. Tyson Williams has the most receiving production, but he's in single digit with just 9 catches and 88 passing y- or receiving yards. So it's part of their game plan, but not the biggest chunk that they go to. I think you absolutely have to find a way to take the backs production completely off the board in this game because of the rest of the weapons they have. And again, most notably, Lamar Jackson is that weapon. Their leading player in terms of forcing missed tackles is also Tyson Williams with 7. Devontae Freeman also has 7. And the most on the team besides running backs, Lamar Jackson us 24 this guy's elite man so it's a challenge the combination of speed and misdirection and the ability to be flexible formationally with that speed it's so tough it's a tall tall order for this Dolphins defense on Thursday night on to the offense we don't know who the quarterback's going to be Flores said on Tuesday that it'll come right up to the game time like it did last week, and he said there's been a reduction in the swelling. There's some discomfort, but he certainly made some progress. He also said it's a medical decision, and he also has some say in that as well. Now, he also said if the game were Tuesday, it would be Jacoby, so the Dolphins quarterbacks versus the Ravens safeties, and that kind of makes it a tricky one to preview, right? We talked about The differences in the games of Tua and Jacoby and what they both bring to the table. But I think since we aren't sure, it's worth exploring at least what the Ravens do well. And what they do well is get their hands on footballs. It hasn't been as prevalent this season compared to previous years. And losing Marcus Peters will certainly contribute to that. But Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark have their share of ball production. Seven total pass defensed between them. And they can move Chuck will certainly come down and play around the line of scrimmage. He's already got 29 pass rush reps this year with seven pressures, including a sack, and he also has 12 run stops. Those are the uh, fifth most on the football team. Elliott can come up to 17 pass rush reps and six pressures with six run stops. Now, Justin Jefferson got behind their defense on Sunday for a long touchdown pass in that game, and Chuck Clark talked after the game, saying it wasn't a miscommunication, just that it was a mistake. Jefferson was was way behind them, and on that play, you see Clark closing down, like really you know, taking away his depth, and Jefferson goes right by him. And earlier, or I should say, uh, yeah, earlier in the week, Ravens coaches, I found this in, in one of their... Um, their transcripts, discussed that the third safety on the roster, Brandon Stevens, talking about improving communication more pre-snap, and Clark talked about how it'll come with more experience. And maybe that's something to keep an eye on in terms of getting some of those vertical shots built in. And one last thing here. I'd assume you're going to get a good showing from Clark because that Jefferson ball and then later a Dalvin Cook run for 66 yards, he had really poor angles on both those plays. I just don't think that'll be what we see continually going forward from him, but maybe Miami can find a way to get big plays in this game. They're definitely going to need them. Now, we did mention Marcus Peters being out as he has been all the year long. As we dive into the Dolphins' receivers and tight ends versus the Ravens' cornerbacks, and Marlon Humphrey's not out, and he's one of the best in the game, I'll always remember that Manning cast on week number one with the Ravens and Raiders when Peyton kept saying, this Ravens team and, and Wink Martindale are a man coverage team, though you do want to mix it up. All the success the Raiders had in that game, Manning said, was coming against their zone coverage. So if they want to get in that zone look, that's going to be an important aspect for Miami to beat that. So if you pair that with the big play the Vikings hit with the fact that Waddle continues to really have some of these chances we talked about on the All-22 reviews vertically, if they go man coverage, it sure would help to get them to go back to zone if you can get deep on them and beat them that way and then go back to to kind of breaking them down play-by-play play in the short-to-intermediate game. In terms of their corners, Humphrey and Anthony Averett play almost every snap, both over 96%, and Humphrey is just smooth in everything he does. On that long touchdown pass, he wasn't looking at the snap, so I think that wasn't really an indication of skill set. Just the Vikings caught him off guard, and he's tremendous at the line in the way he transitions and kind of changes direction at the top of the route and the way he challenges the catch point. Makes me wonder if you want to guard Waddle with him And although Averett has 62 targets against him this year, Humphrey has 47. Both are holding opponents to less than 60% completion, just 51% for Humphrey. But back to Waddle, Tavon Young plays in the slot and teams are 21 of 26 going after him, but for just 9.9 yards per catch, they all tackle well. But again, that being said, if Waddle can draw Humphrey, he averages just under four yards uh, after the catch, while Humphrey has surrendered 205 yak yards this season per pro football focus. But kind of bringing that point back together, they don't really travel. So Miami can, in this case, if that's how they play it, dictate the matchups how they like. Like We talked about moving Waddle inside and out last week. Same deal here for Mike Kosicki who can get those one-on-ones into the boundary. The one-handed catch you saw. Kick inside. Eat down the middle of the football field as well. The key for me here doesn't change. Get those two guys going is always going to be a big key to victory for Miami. And then a quick note, the Bengals game. Just looking at some target numbers and trying to figure out how teams attack the Ravens. T. Higgins had 14 targets in that game against Anthony Averett alone. He had three otherwise too. So 17 targets targets for T Higgins. So that might give you an idea how they want to take away the number one receiver and make you go to the number two or number three. And Jamar Chase and uh, Tyler Boyd both had one against T Higgins. So 16 total targets there uh, going up against Averitt, but also 10 against Humphrey in that game. So really interesting splits across the board in that game. Let's go inside to the trenches. Dolphins offensive line, Ravens defensive line, Calais Campbell, Kind of changed the course of this franchise once upon a time, didn't he? That hit on Ryan Tannehill that knocked him out and basically left Miami without a quarterback for a season and a a quarter or so there in a playoff game, our last playoff game you got to have an answer for this guy. I'm excited to watch him against Rob Hunt because Rob has been really good so far, or, or I should say lately, especially last week. He was fantastic. He's staying on block so well this season. And this is not just one of the biggest, longest players in the league. He's also one of the most technically refined, so he'll be a good challenge for anybody. He has 21 pressures and 10 run stops this season. Justin Matabuki does it with does it more with quickness in his game? I'll never forget scouting him at AM. Tasmanian Devil was the comp. He's a he's an absolute fierce monster. He's only got seven pressures this year, but he will one gap and beat you to blow up plays immediately if you don't find a way to cut him off at the pass and stop that from happening. And then Brandon Williams, another one of these guys that's just massive. You have to find a way to move him off the football, and you have to be ready for these guys inside. They're big and, and Matabuki's quickness as well to set picks, to pick stunt and free up the linebackers you know, more on linebacker pressure in here in just one minute, but they do blitz the fourth highest rate in the National Football League at 32.5%. And we talk about this with our guys, you know, big bodies setting picks to help bring Patrick Queen or a safety like a Chuck Clark. Some instances it's either Justin Houston or Tyus Bowser as the extra rusher, very exotic, very complex. And the quarterback and offensive line need to be on the same page to be prepared to face overloads, simulated pressures, cross dogs. They might Green dog, one of those guys sometimes. Cat blitzes, it's all on the table. Back to the matchups. Outside, they are a challenge. (laughs) Odafe Owe is explosive and long, and he can angle around that corner. He leads that team with 24 pressures. He has two forced fumbles, a game wrecker already in his rookie season. He's a guy you might want to think about chipping and doubling. And if you're in third and long, get those receivers into nasty splits and, and chip them. Like, you got to find a way to take care of him. There are a collection of players to round out their rush. Justin Houston can still get it done. 20 pressures this year. He has lethal hands. And Tyus Bowser has 17 pressures. In the season, he will drop more than the others. 99 coverage reps for him compared to 15 for Houston and 20 for Oway. To last position here, the running backs versus the Baltimore linebackers. Back to Patrick Queen. He can ruin things as a rusher. He can fire through for some TFLs at times. He's a speedy player with sideline to sideline range when he's at his best. When he's at his worst, he's a little bit slow off the snap, but he leads them with 17 run stops and really does it with diagnose, uh, diagnosing and quickness off the snap. He's played Mike and Will, and I continue to look at how teams cover backs in the passing game he's been targeted 26 times and allowed 21 completions so if you can displace him by flexing your back out and go after him in the passing game but also find a way to create more space I like the way that can change the way they defend you on special teams once they cross the 40 it's Basically three points. Justin Tucker's 91% in his career on uh, 338 attempts. That's outrageous. He's 16 for 17 this year. He's three for three from 50 plus. And in the career, he's 45 of 63 from 50 plus. He's missed 13 kicks in his career under 50 yards on 275 attempts like come on he's, he's so good and they will also punt the ball well sam cook averages just under 46 yards per punt their second in special teams dvoa and devin duvernay has averaged 16.7 yards per punt return wow it's a big number 25 yards per kick return he has olympic speed so you want to limit his opportunities in the kicking game and with that said they did surrender a kickoff touchdown last week so maybe Jalen can find a way to get loose the Dolphins will win this week if they can solve the second and third quarter woes because the script for these teams have been similarly opposite. Does that even make sense in that Miami has begun games hot and finished and and finish games hot as well with a bit of a lull in between where the Ravens have started games slowly and come on. So get that same quick start, withstand the near certain onslaught that will come at some point in this game. It's tough to hold these guys down for 60 minutes. So playing a 60 minute game, obviously always your key, but more so in this one than any other. The Ravens will win if Lamar is able to be multidimensional. You cannot beat this team if he's running through the air and on the ground running through the air if he's competing and cooking you through the air and doing it on the ground they've got to find a way to take away one of those two elements my three keys to the game keep jackson and the ravens offense one-dimensional just talked about that Number two, explosive plays on offense and defense, quite frankly. Going to need some takeaways. Going to need some chunk plays in the passing game. How about some big plays in the running game for really the first time this season? Need all that stuff against a team that is as good as Baltimore when you're struggling the way Miami is. And number three, start fast and finish strong. We just talked about that as well. So those are your three keys. And really quick, doing this on a Wednesday because we do not have a podcast until the wee early hours on Friday morning. Going to be a real late one for your boy. Uh, Week 10 picks, Ravens over Dolphins. I like the Cowboys over the Falcons, a bounce back game for Dak Prescott. I like the Saints over the Titans because the Saints play such good defense in that secondary, and I think they can get after Ryan Tannehill in that one. Give me the Saints. Colts over Jags. The Browns over the Patriots. I think Nick Chubb's going to give them a steady dose of running in that game, although I think they just went on the COVID list, so it's only Dearness Johnson. Still taking the Browns anyway. Give me the Bills over the Jets. The Steelers over the Lions. The Bucks over the football team. The Cardinals over the Panthers with or without Kyler. Chargers over the Vikings in that one. That's, that's kind of a toss-up for me, but give me the Chargers. Eagles and Broncos, a tough one, but give me Philly in that one. I'll take the Packers over Seattle without Rodgers. I'm taking the Seahawks, so do not hold me to that if they change him. Chiefs over Raiders and Rams over Niners on a Monday night to drop the Niners to 3-6, hopefully, and help improve that first-round draft pick. All right, that is my time here on the Preview Podcast. Again, the next time I talk to you guys, it'll be after the Dolphins and Ravens late, late. On a Thursday night, actually, again, early on a Friday morning. So keep it posted there. Check out the post game show. As always, post game against the Ravens, me, Seth, and OJ coming to you live from Hard Rock Stadium right after the game concludes. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Uh, Terrell Buckley this week with Seth and OJ. You don't want to miss that one. The YouTube channel for our media availabilities and of course Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fin's up. Caroline, daddy's coming home.